Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs, produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Hope Matumbu. Women on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the sovereign lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you are hearing us from. Roads Must Fall is a protest movement initially directed against a statue at the University of Cape Town honoring Cecil Rhodes, which began on the 9th of March 2015. The campaign for the statue's removal received global attention and led to a wider movement to decolonize education across South Africa. The Fall is a protest theatre production documenting the South African student movements. The production came to Melbourne in August 2018 and I had the opportunity to sit down and speak with three female members of the original cast, Amira Conrad, Tando Mango and Tankiso Mamabolo. Now, Augusto Boal said all theatre is necessarily political because all activities of man are political and theatre is one of them. And so the interesting thing, I guess, is that you all... Um, are students or were students in 2015 and these issues that you've written about and that you uh, portray are your actual lives. Now, was this a cathartic process in any way for you to sort of, was this a form of of healing or, or, you know, how does it help you look back and reflect on what you were involved in in on a political level? I don't know. It's not cathartic. I still haven't felt any catharsis yet. Um, I mean, from the beginning, because it's always like a conflict as to um, how you're going to tell the story, um, what you are. Are you an artist or are you a representative of the movement? Um, uh, yeah, so pretty conflicting. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's always like an embodied um, reminder of what made you what made me i can speak for myself resonate with the movement in the first place so not catharsis yet but like a reminder oh yeah um i i agree, i definitely agree with tando i think that there are moments of catharsis because this play can be it can be very um cathartic but it can also be very triggering um, which is sort of like a double-edged sword where it's like some shows will have, which are very emotional, very um, triggering experiences for us where it's like where you get so into it that you are back there, um, which is, I suppose, the benefit of being an actor, but it's also the actor's curse. Um, and then on the flip side of that, 
you can then move through the the timeline of the play and come to the point at the end of it where you're standing there and you're still standing there. And it's a, as Tando says, it's a reminder that we are still on our feet and we have the pleasure and the honor of being able to tell the story um, and to not have been one of the students who were arrested um, and to not be the students who are, you know, suffering charges at the hands of the university or at the hands of the government. Um, and so it's, yeah, I think it's a double-edged sword where it's it can be cathartic. Some, day, some days it is. Um, the process was to a certain extent for me because I got to um, talk through what had happened um, in that period of time with people who experienced it with me um, in a way that I hadn't before because I wasn't necessarily part of this particular group of friends when we were at university. Um, and I think Tank and I were, we were fighting before we, we were fighting a lot um, before we actually started writing the play. And so I think it was a really a great opportunity for me to grow closer to this group because it was an opportunity to to learn about everyone's experiences and explain my experiences and understand for myself why I did what I did um, and to judge myself to a certain extent, but to also accept that that was the decision that I made at the time and to move forward with the new information that I have. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know if this is a catharsis, but, you know, as a, as a black person, I, I, I often feel very angry and very helpless about, you know, what, what's happening in the world constantly. And as a black person, you can't, you can't ignore the, the headlines. You, you can't ignore um, news from America about people getting shot and in South Africa and even in Australia. These things jump at you because there's a connection to feeling that way. And what, has, what this play has, has become for me is it has become a way for me to channel my anger and my frustration into telling people what exactly it is that you know we are going through and why it is that we behave the way we behave and a lot of the time you know I've reached a point where I refuse to explain myself to white people anymore Um, I find that it it keeps me stagnant it keeps me angry and the only time I'm willing to take white people into my own life and my own journey is through this play so it's given me that um, that chance and I think in that way, it's been cathartic for me because then sometimes you take the play home with you. Sometimes you're, you're depressed. You, you can't sleep. You can't do anything. But sometimes, and those very good times, you are able to leave it on that stage and go home and pretend, you know, for a few hours that you're not existing in this body. So in terms of the relationship between theater and politics in South Africa, you know, there's always been there's always been a relationship. So I think that even when you look at our form of protesting, doi doing, you know, there's a lot of of song and dance and oral tradition. Some things that you spoke about earlier, thank you. So, um, and I was just wondering what you think. Just thinking about that relationship, but also just thinking about the differences between apartheid era political theatre and contemporary protest theatre. So I think that um, one of the major differences between apartheid-era theatre and contemporary political theatre is that back then there was much more urgency in that, you know, John Carney and Winston were, 
they, they were being raided while they were trying to perform the island. He told us he came to a, a workshop um, to chat with us when we were writing the show um, for the first time, and he told us about how um, they were doing the island in Joburg at the Space Theater, I think it was called then, um, and the police raided it, and they were backstage, and because you know black people weren't allowed to be seen on stages, um, they had to pretend to be the cleaners so that they wouldn't get arrested by the police. And so while we you know have that sense of urgency of you know the story needs to be told there's no like threat to our lives doing this show um so i feel like we can say things with confidence and knowing that you know we can we, we don't have to worry about getting shot on our way home or getting arrested because we're here standing here telling our truths um and so we can we can find strength in that fact that we do live in a democracy and we do have this opportunity to to not be afraid for our lives. I mean, we are afraid of it for our lives because, you know, we're women of color who live in this cis-heteropatriarchal white supremacist world. Um, but it's doing the show gives us that sense of, like, we can we can take a stand here and this is how we can make our voices heard and how we can stand against that system. Um, and also I think the form of it and the kinds of conversations that are happening, we would, when, we were, when we were writing the show for the first time and we were workshopping it, um, our facilitator Claire Stopford has worked with the Barney Simons um, and the apartheid era theatre maker stalwarts of South African theatre. Um, and we were talking about the way that they would express themselves on stage in like there's one specific moment where I think about where Tando's character when we're all sitting in the line we're talking about the fees issue where she says you see my kid over here he barely eats and she points to Cizwe's character and Claire told us that you know in Barney's theater they would have we we were like we feel weird that Tando's character gestures at him like it felt like a moment of shame for us um and she had said to us, you know, if it was Barney's theater, he would have made you like show everyone, grab Cizwe's wrist and show people how thin he is because it was like you had to make it so violently clear to people what was going on to get that message across. Whereas I think for us, we can, we can allow the work to speak for itself and we can allow the violence of the moments in the play to speak for themselves without us putting more onto it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think uh, another difference for me is that, you know, during apartheid, the enemy was very clear. Mm -hmm. The enemy was the government of that time, and they were targeting black people. And now, um, our political stands go beyond race. Um, now you have, you have conversations about patriarchy, you have conversations about homophobia, about colorism, transphobia, so... I don't know whether the problems have increased or we're just more open as human beings about, you know, trying to help everyone get seen. Yeah, for me, the difference is, I guess, also our relationship to theatre. Doing this play and um, it was the first time I actually got to experience documentary theatre because it's it's not something and like see how powerful that it can be in terms of like the urgency of theater as a medium 
we have a lot more stuff. We have a lot more media that kind of gives us visual stimulation anyway. So why go to theater? So for me, I think um, the relationship to theater and theater spaces is definitely very different. Yeah, the, I, I think theater had a lot more weight then in showing and exposing things. Now we have like a lot more stuff. Women on the Line. On Community Radio Around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. If you're tuning in, I've been speaking with three female cast members of The Fall, a protest theatre production from South Africa, documenting the student movements of 2015. I've been speaking with Tando Mangu, Amira Conrad and Tankiso Mamabolo. I think there's, there's, there are a lot of important conversations that happen in this play. It was really nice to see things around gender specifically because when you look at things like, you know, so when Mamwini Mandela passed away, um, some of the conversations that were happening around gender and when you look at the way that she was treated and everything that she gave to the movement um, and and back then maybe some people thought that it was better, you know, everybody had to have this one goal, this one enemy and so there was no time or space to have conversations around gender, around women and all this stuff and you see that in the way that her legacy in in a way has been has been taken over by people, you know what I'm saying? And so it was really great to see the conversations um around around gender and how do you feel about that as as women not only as actors but also just looking at um some of the some of the gender stuff that may have happened that has happened i mean during um during the movement and continues to happen now when we look at sexual violence when we look at women being left in the sidelines when they played an important role in these kinds of movements um, for me, it's definitely been, been an educational or eye-opening experience. Um, it's definitely given me words to express things that um, I did. I couldn't necessarily. Um, I didn't even like know consciously that I was having a problem with them, but my body and like who I was was definitely being affected by patriarchy and um sexual violence towards women and like this whole image economy that is just against women even even just being in the movement itself and then getting to embody like being indignant and fighting against patriarchy um has again been a reminder of yes what i resonated with so it's it's definitely been um a very, like, educational experience. I'm a proud feminist. I'm a proud Muslim woman. I'm a proud uh, woman of color. It's very important for me that these conversations are happening. And it's very important for me that they're happening beyond just a conversation of um, cisgender uh, topics and um, separations. I was having a conversation a while ago where we were talking about how, you know, it's a time of reckoning for whiteness. And very soon, cis women are not going to know what to do with themselves in the same way that white people don't know what to do with themselves because the conversations around gender, gender-based violence, uh, black trans women are the highest 
uh, targeted group in in the world. Um, the highest number of suicides, the highest number of murders, um, are the least protected group of people in in the world. And and for me, it was very important for these conversations to happen in the show not only because they're important to me personally, but also because they were conversations that were really happening in the movement. And I I think that we can all agree that it would have been disingenuous to pretend that there was no issue, gender-based issues going on in the movement and that there was no separation between the trans collective and the black radical feminists and the cisgendered um, straight men. Um, and so that was for us... It was just important for us to portray the entire moment as honestly as we could, even if it meant that we would come off looking a bit bad, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Or, or if, even if it meant that we were saying, our characters were saying things that we necessarily didn't resonate with um, in and of ourselves. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 for me, it's probably the most important thing that's going on in the world today. South Africa's in the middle of a femicide. Um, and so it's just like, it's, being a woman walking down the street is trauma in and of itself. Um, and to be able to have conversations in my workplace, which is, you know, the, the entertainment industry is fraught with sexual violence. Um, and to be able to stand on a stage, on international stages, and claim my space as a female body and as a woman... Um, is just like for me the most empowering thing um, to be able to just stand there with both my feet down and be able to speak in my deep voice and not be like, oh, you know, to be my authentic self on a stage is something that's very rare, I think, for, for, for actresses of color. Um, and so for me, it's like the greatest privilege. Well, <clears throat> I think the, the reason the, the word decolonization is so important to me is that for me, it goes further than just challenging, you know, the occupation of of black people's land and of black people's culture by by the colonizers, but it's about challenging every norm that we have been taught um, for the past hundreds of years, challenging what religion has taught us about men and women, about queer people, you know, and... I think it's important that it, it keeps being said and it keeps being studied and written more about because people tend to only read the first bit of, of, of decolonization and think, okay, well, we're going for the whites. And I'm like, no, that means challenge yourself as well. What has white supremacy taught you about yourself and about people who have less power than you? And I think it, it's, it's, it's very important to me that it's said in this play as well because not only do we promote decolonization in this play, we question it as well because that's what human beings do. You, you become curious about something, you apply your own understanding of that thing or your own reservations about it, and then other people then engage with you in a conversation about it and explain it to you further, which is what I find this play does. It's not just us <clears throat> having a loud hailer and shaming people. It's us understanding as well that, you know, everything, everything that we know about each other has been taught. As, as much as I despise racism, a part of me looks at racists and I go, I feel sorry that this is the only experience you were given in life, men as well. 
I look at the violence and I'm I'm angered by it and I'm helpless. But I I go, you know what? The only way we could counter this violence is to teach young men from a young age what it is to be a human being occupying a space with other human beings. And that's where I think decolonization comes in. And yeah. I guess people can come to this play and come to the show, but you touched on it before that for you, you know, you still have hundreds and thousands of rands of student loans. Like this isn't, this isn't something, you know, and in the play you touch on it as well. You know, the statue fell and everybody was like, okay, you know, you know, back to class now, this is it, this is done, but it's not it. And even in this play, you have lives outside of that and you were talking about you know some of the students that you knew from university who are facing um, years in prison and so for listeners out there how can they support what do you want people to know about young people in South Africa and about about where this can go from here because it's not over this is just the beginning. I think the one way in which people can support is to, it starts with people actually challenging and questioning the boundaries in which we live as colonized places. So, de- yeah, decriminalizing is also a major part of decolonization. Um, I think for me, I think the first step is to is to actually listen to young people and to and to take them seriously because I think that the uh, it, older generations can be very dismissive and can say, ah, you know, you've barely lived life. You don't know what it means to struggle. You know, you don't know what it means to be really oppressed. Um, it was a fight that I had with my parents when, when the movement was happening that, you know, my, my mom said to me, she was an activist in the 80s, um, and she was like, you have no idea what it means to be oppressed. You are uh, lower middle class. You went to some of the best schools in the Western Cape on scholarship. Um, you know, you go to one of the best univers- the best university in Africa, and you eat every day. Your parents pick you up and drop you off at the train station. You don't have to dodge bullets. You don't have to fear for your life. Um, so what could you possibly be complaining about? What could you possibly be unhappy about? Um, and my parents sort of took it as a personal attack on them that I was unhappy in the world. And still to this day, I had a conversation with my mom the other day where I was like, I'm stressed. I have alopecia. My hair is literally falling out from stress. And she was like, what can you be stressed about? You're 24. Like, you have no idea what stress is. And it's like, I'm stressed because, <laughs> because I have major student loans. The ice caps are melting. Black people are being shot every day. You know, Muslim women are having their hijabs ripped off of their heads in France and Denmark. Like, I'm stressed for the world. And I think that our generation takes on the struggles of the world mm-hmm. because of social media and because we're so connected to each other in that way across the globe. Um, and so I think the first step to, for people to actually support and show confidence in young people is to take young people seriously and know that, sure, you might have lived a bunch of decades longer than us, but our struggles right now are very important. And beyond that, the older generation won't necessarily have to deal with the repercussions of the lives that they lived when they were young. 
what comes after us is more important than what has come before us um, is a good place for, I think, for us to start. I think people must start with the people closest to them. So while I get stressed about what's happening in America, I can't not get stressed about what's happening in my own country. And what I find with um, privileged people is they're they're more likely to be sympathetic with things that are happening in other countries and not right where they are. So I'd say people must start becoming sympathetic towards the people around them. I would also say that um, people can't wait for the marginalized to take initiative for them every time. Fixing the world has been left up to the marginalized, and that's a huge issue for me because then we constantly get asked by people, oh, how can I do to help you guys? I feel so bad about what my people did. I feel so, you know, and I'm like, do it. Just do something and don't wait for me to tell you because I'm already traumatized. I'm already trying to live my life day to day without ending it. So people need to take initiative. I mean, the government will only listen to the people they serve. And if the government is serving the white majority, then the white majority has to tell its government that, you know, we don't want you to be treating other people like this. If it's serving the men, then the men have to say, um, you know, there's people being killed currently. Yeah, only white people can end racism. Only men can end um, femicide and patriarchy. Uh, Only cis people can end transphobia. Only straight people can end homophobia. It should be up to us as the privileged groups to make sure that we are leading this fight. Mm. Women on the line. That's the end of my conversation with three female cast members of The Fall, a protest theatre production uh, following the South African student movements of 2015. I was speaking with Tando Mangu, Amira Conrad and Tankiso Mamabolo. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a community radio national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CI in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the community radio network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03-9419-8377. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, www.3cr.org.au forward slash womenontheline. The themes... The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by Latigra. I'm Hope Matumbu and I hope you can tune in again next time.